Welcome back, people, to the brand new Strong Parents pod. This week, my guest is my friend, my coach, Tanya Filer. How do? How do? How are you doing? Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right, thanks. I'm sat here with my McDonald's Diet Coke. Yeah, you can't drink that, though. Sweeteners Why? and artificial sweeteners and all that shit, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go down that avenue. Eh? Let's not go down that <laughs> avenue. So we've been we've been working on this for a while, um, trying to get Tanya. Well, not trying to get Tanya on. Every time I've said to Tanya, right, do you want to be my first female female guest I've ever had on the podcast? And she always say, yeah, let's do it. And then it's always down to me not managing my diary and all that shit. So it's been a long time coming, but here we are. So Tanya, let's go back to the. Uh, let's get some background info on you. Give us some info about your younger days, where you grew up, you know, all that kind of stuff. What do you want to know? So, where did I grow up? East London. Okay. Um, I've kind of lost most of my accent now as I've been living in Hertfordshire for the last 20 years. But I'm East London, born and bred. Um, Just to interrupt you very quickly there, right? That's made me think of something. So, to me... Right, and this is going to sound dead ignorant, right? But to me, I can't imagine how your accent would be any different being from, you know, because, you know, there's this north-south thing and southerners sound one way and to you guys, northerners sound another way. I've yeah. No doubt. So, yeah. So I probably wouldn't know the difference. And I'd imagine you probably wouldn't know a great deal of difference between my accent and maybe someone from maybe Yorkshire or something like that. But I don't know about Scousers. You definitely tell the difference between me and a Scouser. Well, yeah, let's just I say think, you, me and Stu, Stu McKenzie. Yeah, there's a there's a massive difference, but there's also a big difference between how you talk and right. one of my other clients who is based in Yorkshire and okay. then another okay. one that's in Manchester and then I've got one that's in Warrington mm-hmm. and there's subtle differences. Right, okay. So I think like the northern dialects are definitely more varied than southern but you would absolutely if 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 i spent a couple of hours in the company of my old school friends who still live in east london and then you spoke to me after that the change in my accent you would definitely pick up on (laughs) i am just peggy mitchell (laughs) (laughs) i interrupted you anyway i apologize but anyway carry on so grew up in east london yeah, grew up in East London, um, always very social, very sporty, mm-hmm. um, met my ex-husband <laughs> when I was 20, right. moved to Hertfordshire, had my children, and then set up my own business. Okay. So I've kind of, that's a really like very com- like concentrated Okay. version of my life up till now so what did you do when you left school what did you do when you left school college uni or did you go straight into work so I left I left halfway through my a-levels because okay. I was very very irritated with traveling to and from school so my parents moved um which meant I then had an hour and a half journey to school and back every day mm-hmm. so I left halfway through my a-levels and went straight into working for yacht insurance. 
So okay. I became a trainee yacht insurance broker, which was actually yacht really no yacht insurance. Yeah. So yacht. it was massively, <laughs> it was good fun. Um, I got to spend a good portion of January every year at the International Boat Show uh-huh. where I met, I met Princess Anne. I met um, Duke of Edinburgh. I met Simon Le Bon, who at the time was like one of my biggest crushes. Um, but I was 18 years old, fresh out of school, mm-hmm. um, didn't like getting up early for work. Also didn't really like the pressure of the insurance industry. It was just really shit. So they sacked me after right. two years for um, <laughs> performance-based issues, should yeah, I say. Yeah, I can relate. Been there. <laughs> then I worked for a um, photography studio. So I worked in the darkroom of a photography studio right. for, for the next five years. I did that. Then... I moved from that photography studio to one in the Fulham Road, which was attached to a pharmacy. Mm-hmm. I became, I also did trainee pharmaceutical um, assistant stuff. I've done all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, fell pregnant with my first child, went back to work when he was six months old. I did part-time deli counter work at Sainsbury's. Mm-hmm. Had my second child. Then that's when I started working for asset finance company um I was there for a grand total of four years I think um called my boss a wanker and was sacked (laughs) as you'd probably expect I'd imagine but (laughs) so so when did you decide you were going to work for yourself because I mean I'm going to let you explain to people who are listening what it is you do because I'll butcher it even though we've worked together for like 18 months now or whatever it is I'll not do you justice as in as in what your title is and things like that. Yeah. Well, but, I struggle because I don't know what my title is no, either. You don't because need to there's, pause, but there's lots of different, yeah, there's lots of different things to to how I work. But basically, yeah, yeah. when I was when I was at the asset fight, so I've always been in some kind of marketing or um sales based job. Okay. So even when I was working in the in the darkroom, that was based on um selling prints and photography back to and the deli counter as well and the deli counter yeah forward facing (laughs) yeah um so i've always kind of done sales or or marketing in some way when i was at the asset finance company we had to use linkedin quite a lot um Mm -hmm. for outreach so i was an account manager so i looked after new business so it was kind of my job to look after potential clients seek out potential clients to arrange finance for business assets so everything from photocopiers telephone systems cars um right through to um gym equipment and that kind of thing it was my job to look after the client relationship from the beginning right through to when they signed the contracts Mm -hmm. and so i use linkedin a lot um and we're going back like 14 15 years ago so um I would spend a great deal of my time on LinkedIn during the day, making connections, talking to people. But I was also at home in the evening. Um, Facebook and Twitter were fairly new at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would basically, to get out of my own head in the evening, um, because of my terrible, terrible marriage, I would just bugger around on social media. Mm-hmm. And I spent so long on social media that one of my close friends at that point said to me, you could probably make money doing this. Like you, you know enough about it and you spend so much time on there. You've got to be able to make money somehow, mm-hmm. which set like a little planted seed in my head. 
So I looked into it and found in America that there was this company that were doing social media management um, courses. So I looked into that, enrolled. It was like £90, I think, for an eight-month course, which was nothing at the time. Um, So kind of self-learned through that. Um, One of my friends said, well, why don't you put my business online, see if, see if that works. Mm-hmm. It was a construction company. And I managed to save them £180,000 a year um, on supplier materials because of wow. several connections that I made for them. And wow. that's where the social media um, side of what I was doing started. I was still doing it on the side along with my asset finance job. Mm-hmm. But then it started to encroach more into my day job and I was right. finding myself on breaks going onto Twitter or Facebook and, yeah. and doing what have you. Um, and I didn't particularly like my sales director at my job at that point. He was a narcissistic pig. Um, and he, <laughs> in one of our many, many arguments, you know me, I don't like, I don't suffer fools gladly and I will not be spoken to like I'm a piece of dirt. I've been setting boundaries since I could talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came over and I was a parent of two, two young children at this time. I was 32 years old. He picked my mobile phone up off my desk and threw it into the bin and said, you've been told not to have mobile devices out of your bag during offices, office hours. So I basically said, you don't get to chuck my personal belongings around just because you think you can. I said, and you've got 10 seconds to pick my phone back out of that bin and put it on my desk. And he was like, what are you going to do about it if I don't? And I went, oh, I don't need to do anything. I said, if you want to stand there and act like a fucking wanker, it's totally up to you. Um, and then he was like, in my office now. And I was like, you don't need to do that. I said, I quit. That's it. I'm not working for you anymore. You just a jumped up ginger Correct. wanker. <laughs> yeah, ginger wanker. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that was the end of my job. And I woke up the next morning in a blind panic because mm-hmm. – I didn't have a job. I had two children to support and a grand total of £800 a month from my side hustle to support us. Mm -hmm. And the rest is history. That was 13 years ago. Wow, 13 Um, years ago now. That's crazy. So, I mean, I suppose in a way, the the good thing about having that shit time at work and boss being an arsehole and what have you, probably made it very easy, didn't it, in a way? even though you had yeah. to panic the morning after, whereas obviously a lot of people, when they have these side hustles, like myself, you think, you know, could I, could I maybe take the leap? And you just, you're just constantly held back for that fear. Mm. You know, a lot of people can just go, fuck it, I'm going to do it. You know, and yeah. what can't because there's so much riding on it, you know, and it's it's difficult, but I suppose at least that decision was kind of, t- well, not taking out your hands because you made the decision, but at least it wasn't something yeah, yeah. that you're having to yeah. spend forever thinking about. No, and I wouldn't recommend anybody else doing that at all. I was a very no. reactionary. I still am quite a reactionary person um, when my boundaries are being tested. And mm-hmm. I definitely wouldn't recommend that as a strategy for like um, making your side hustle work. In hindsight, I think a lot of it was just down to emotional immaturity, mm-hmm. um, a bit of naivety, but also... Um, I'd just been pushed just that little bit too far, mm-hmm. but I definitely wouldn't recommend people take that plan of action. You should always have, you should always have your options open. A bit and of a don't, plan, maybe. don't burn bridges. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. Cool. So how long did it take them for that to start 
to start, you know, getting going, if you like, even though you've been working on it for about a, a while in the background, I'm assuming it probably took a while before it started to make life a bit easier as in bringing more money in and things like that. Or was it because yeah. you had so much time to focus on it? Did it, did it start working pretty easily? It was really difficult because being a single parent, um, my marriage had finished way before um, I made the leap out of my job. So I was basically the sole provider for two small children. And I kind of made enough that, so I'm not shy or hiding the fact that I had to rely on additional benefits yep. at that time as well child tax credits, working tax credits. Mm -hmm. um, I had housing um, supplements as well, because while I was earning money through my through like my business, I was held back because of my commitments as a parent. So being able to pick the kids up from school every day, childcare costs were just astronomical. Oh, yes. And it, it left me negative. If I'd have been employed full time, I wouldn't have had any money. In fact, I would have been in negative equity because of the amount of money childcare costs. Yeah. So I kind of balanced where I was for a good five or six years mm -hmm. um, by earning enough um, through my business that meant I could support the kids and have a good lifestyle. Um, but as soon as my oldest was in high school, it freed up a little bit more time for me. Because yeah. it meant that he could then take himself to school, yeah. and my daughter was taken to school and picked up by by her by one of my other friends. So it gave me just that extra hour at the end of the day mm -hmm. where I could. So I wasn't working nine till half two. Um, I could do nine till four right. on my business every day. And then when my daughter, my youngest, went to high school, which was only four years ago, four years ago. Um, just gave me that extra option of now I had even more time. They would come home from school. They would do the homework. I didn't need to be in mum mode until dinner time. So half five. So I had a full working day then. So it gave me that freedom to push my business that little bit more. I had the output that I needed at that time. I didn't have to be there um, every second of the day for the kids. Mm -hmm. And it was when I was able to put more into the business that it, it took off. Nice. even more um and i'd say yeah a good seven seven or eight years before i was earning enough that i didn't need tax credits or yeah um housing benefit it's really difficult when you are the breadwinner for the mm. family um but also when you want to be there for your kids as well that constant parental guilt of i need to make money to keep you alive yeah. but I want to be there because you are only small for a very short space of time. Yeah. So I either felt guilty for working too much or felt guilty for not working up. And yeah. you still have that now. Like my son's 20 and off at university. Um, my daughter's 15 and a half. And I still get that guilt feeling when I'm still working at seven o'clock at night mm -hmm. that, oh, I should probably be there to make sure that, you know, she's doing her homework or she's revising for her exam or does Sam need me to um, give him advice about how to wash his bloody bed sheets or something? That parental guilt just doesn't yeah. leave you when when you work full time. It doesn't. You're right. You're right. 
Um, so I suppose as well that like not having that as as you say, like you know, I'd say with air quotes, like that parental responsibility when they were coming home from school or college or whatever it was when they were getting that bit older. So yeah. that meant you didn't have to do the frigging reading when they get back with them, the learning the spellings, like <laughs> I'm doing at the minute, all that shit. You get home and you're like, oh fucking hell, I've got to do that. Oh. Now I'm going through it again because um, my other half, his children are five and seven. So well, is my new partner. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to come on to next. So you're now part of a blended family. Yeah, as, blended as are family. we at this house, you know. Yeah. Um, so blended yeah, so how, how's that for you then? So so you've gone from kids being pretty much grown up yeah. to having um, another young one thrown into the into the mix. Yeah, two more young ones. Two more, of course. Of course, yeah, excuse me, two more. Yeah. Seven and a five-year-old, it's knackering. Yeah. <laughs> you forget how, how switched on you have to be when they're that little, when they're that yes. young and not independent thinkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is that constant. It's not having to watch them because, like, they can walk upstairs without worrying that they're going to fall over and hurt themselves. But the constant questions um, and the constant um, attention. Yeah they demand from you um when you're and again the parental guilt even the step parental blended yeah. family guilt that i get of they're only here for part of the week with us as well we don't have them full time and it's like yeah. right so i need to make sure that the time they're with us is quality focus time but you can't predict when shit's going to kick off with your business no of course not. No. <laughs> um so quite often it's what do i sacrifice at, at any one point mm-hmm being a parent and owning your own business or just working full stop. It's yeah. such a constant juggling act of where do you put your attention at that one moment in time? Like the plate spinning. If I let this work plate slow down, am I going to be able to build the momentum back up again to keep it ticking over? Mm. Um, if I let the kids plate slow down a little bit am I going to end up rearing a couple of shitheads um or are they going to resent me as a parent for not being there for them Mm -hmm. because you know we all have like our kids are going to blame us for something as they grow up we all do like my parents there's always that sob story isn't there of I had to share a room with my sister until I was 19 years old or uh, I had to walk five miles to school every day you youngsters don't know you've got it made like there's that always going to be that story of yeah. um, hardship <laughs> and you kind of you want to go oh, I don't want my kids to grow up and their story of hardship is my mum was never there for me yeah my mum was always working Absolutely. so it's just that in the back of your head it's oh fuck well you know I might not get this project I might not get that amount of money this month but I'm going to read this book to yes. my child I'm going to do this homework project I'm going to bunk off work for the afternoon and watch this school play so it is it is a juggling act and nine times out of ten you get it right but (laughs) we're gonna cock up at some point yeah of course we are yeah so when you started working for yourself I I mean am I right in thinking I'd probably say I don't know maybe 75 percent maybe more of your clients are within the fitness space yeah Yeah, and I know they're not all but vast majority so is that something you gravitated towards naturally and they were just the people that came to you or were you looking to, were they the people you ended up wanting to work with to help them with their businesses? It was a con- it was a conscious choice. So when I first started the social media stuff, it was management. So I looked after other people's social media for them. And that was local business focused. 
for for a long time for like five six seven years was local businesses because they were on my doorstep I spent money with these local businesses they were people that I met through online networking so that was for me a very easy choice and then like seven years ago when I started my own fitness journey again Although it never really stops. Like I've always done everything from, yeah. I think I said this on another podcast, from like aqua aerobics with my mum, age 15, to Zumba classes, to um, pregnancy classes and all kinds of stuff. But seven years ago, um, I started to use like the gym properly. Like I had planning and programming. And from that point, being in that arena if you like that environment working with my personal trainer helping him with his marketing and then another personal trainer saying oh can you give me some advice it kind of just moved into that industry mm-hmm. and yeah like 75% of my client base is health fitness focused because that's where my hobbies interests and passions are yeah it's where I spend time naturally looking for advice and information for myself so mm-hmm. I come across those people more often than not Nice, nice. So um, the mindset work that you do, so that's something that's relatively new that you've added to yeah. the to the uh, to the fray, if you like. NLP yeah. is yeah. it called? So, t- so talk to us NLP. about that again. Where did that come from? How did it come about? And what does it mean for you, your clients, for for people even listening? You know, if you can how that, how it may or may not help them. Hopefully, so, <laughs> neuro linguistic programming NLP is basically if you think about your brain as a set of apps that you download, so apps on your phone, those apps have been programmed by your experiences through life from the values, beliefs, and stories that your parents have given you, um, from generational stories, from school environment, peer groups, social media consumption. Those apps that are in your head are your stories and your beliefs and your values. Mm -hmm. And you can reprogram the ones that don't serve you. So things that hold us back, our limiting beliefs, our limiting self-beliefs, things like a lack of confidence with public speaking, um, fear of spiders, um, feeling not worthy of things. They all start from a single thought at some point in your life and then as you go through life you add to that belief or add to that story um from your environment so how can I give you an example so say you're at school you're six years old and you're in a maths class um, and you're really struggling with your sums the teacher just comes up to you looks at what you're doing tuts and says god you're never going to be good at this stuff you really need to concentrate Mm -hmm. that one episode well, then if somebody in a couple of years time affirms that story of, God, you should really understand this math stuff by now, mm-hmm. that then compounds that thought and that thought and that story. And that becomes a belief of I'm no good at maths. I'm never going to be any good at maths. OK. Plays out through your whole life. Yeah, of course. And yeah. then through NLP, that. you can help people realize where that initial thought or fear or feeling stems from Mm -hmm. and we can change the story we can change the narrative we can replay that and we can get you to see that that's a story that you don't own that it's something that you were led to believe and if you can 
take a story and own it through that behavior, you can untell that story and that belief and replace it with a new, more positive, proactive one. Nice. And it's done through specific um, neuroscientific methods, but a lot of it, you would have heard of hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. So NLP hypnotherapy works really well. It helps people stop smoking. It can help people um, get over fear of flying, fear of frogs, which is what helped me. Um, So I qualified as an NLP practitioner in January of this year. Um, And I've got my master's and hypnotherapy practice exams in February next year. But what it does is it allows me to see when my clients are in a state of stuck or they're in a mindset that doesn't serve them, Mm -hmm. listening to the language that they use and the way that they frame stories about themselves or how they're understanding situations in their life. I can help them see a more positive spin, a more positive like behavior from it and change people's perspective. Very nice. Nice. So how long have you been employing this with your clients now? Well, I started doing it officially in January this year, Mm -hmm. but I have a natural ability for communication and conversation, um, coaching, if you like, being able to intuitively know when somebody is anxious or fearful of a particular environment or a particular scenario or imposter syndrome is a very kind of popular term Mm. at the moment it's kind of like a buzzword but being able to help people identify what that is how irrational it can be but how to get past it um it's just something i've i've naturally been doing for a long time the reason i took nlp as a as a course was because every single one of my clients has um not issues but mindset stuff comes up all the time Mm -hmm. the things that hold us back are our own thoughts fears and beliefs Definitely. It's not a physical or environmental thing. It's definitely our own version of ourselves. So being able to coach people past that is something that I love, I really enjoy, um, and is way more impactful than any social media campaign that you can put out there. Nice. I managed to, one of my newest clients, she had a big fear of flying, and nice. she flew out yesterday on a three-hour flight, and I gave her some NLP mindset um instruction friday for just an hour and she went through the whole flight yesterday with no fear whatsoever like oh, she that with nice. just an hour and it's just simple visualization techniques breathing practice and just understanding where that fear stems from and why it feels so irrational it's clever stuff yeah, it sounds it. It sounds it. And that, like, I mean, I mean, I'm quite lucky. I don't, not that I can think of. I don't think I have any sort of like fears and stuff. But I, 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 I can't imagine how somebody who has like a genuine fear of something gets over it with anything. I just can't because, like, you know, I have met people and know people that have got fears of like say spiders, things like that. And it's just like it's it's frigging. It seems almost irrational. Like, I mean, my, my oldest daughter just freaks out when she sees a spider she's like kill it kill it i'm like i ain't killing it and i'll just pick it up and i'll move it doesn't you know it doesn't they just don't bother me but she just has this she just goes all she just goes from not to 100 straight away as soon as she sees one yeah Um, 
And I can't imagine how she could ever get over that, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a really simple, um, almost hypnotherapy-based yeah. exercise. And it is just opening people's eyes to how irrational they look and how that feeling of fear, where it starts and how you can push it away. Because I had a fear of frogs, which is such an irrational, weird phobia. But I had a very real fear of frogs up until eight months ago when my NLP coach gave me hypnotherapy via Zoom. And now my fear of frogs is completely gone to the point where I was in my mum's garden. Yeah, it, it stems from, an, from um, an incident when I was 13 years old um, where I was attacked, in inverted commas, by hundreds of frogs at the same time. Right. Um, near my house um, where my mum and dad lived, there was a pond. It was absolutely pissing down with rain. And frogs, when when it rains, they think that the ground, the shiny ground is a pond. So they're trying to jump in it. And I happened to just walk past this area of the forest where there were about probably only about 15 frogs. But for me, it was like thousands were were on me. And they all started jumping at me um, and I froze. I just froze because I didn't know what the hell it was. Yeah. And screamed. And that point was where my phobia of frogs started. No way. That is crazy. Yeah. But now it's right. gone. <laughs> gone. Sorry. So it's what it's gone completely. That's it. Yeah, it's gone. yeah. Could you go as far as picking one up? Do you think? I would. Well, so I was in my mum's garden about four weeks ago, and she's got like newts and toads and what have you in her yeah. pond. I wouldn't. I didn't want to touch it, mm. mainly because I didn't want to disturb it from where it was. But okay. I was right up close to it, and it could have jumped. At, but I was completely calm. Mad. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't really want to pick up a frog out of a pond anyway, would you? No, no, definitely not. That's the thing. I've not got a fear of frogs, but I wouldn't want to pick one up. You know, it is a bit gross, (laughs) I suppose. (laughs) Right, so pretty much coming to the end. I try and keep them short, these. And, um, you know, I know you've listened to episodes in the past, and I do always ask everyone that comes on for a funny or rather embarrassing story, if possible. So have you got anything for us? Yeah. No one's bad, by the way. There's no one's bad on this this podcast. <laughs> we've all heard it. We've we've heard some. We've all heard some bad shit. So, you know, go for it. So there's. Um, have you ever listened to Kiss 100? Kiss 100 FM. Kiss. Yeah, long time London. ago. Yeah, it's not something. London. Yeah, London yeah. radio station. Yeah. So there was a DJ on there called Justin. He was a very famous DJ at this point. Um, mm-hmm. House garage kind of music. He was coming to a nightclub near where we were this is it's not that long ago either it's probably (laughs) probably about 11 years ago so we went to this nightclub where Justin was playing everybody was like crowding around the DJ booth we managed to get a table next to the booth quite posh VIP area so we Mm -hmm. had champagne and everything and then we all decided to get up on the sofas to dance like bearing in mind I'm five foot and a fag butt tall um, I had to wear I have to wear big heels to be anywhere near normal people's height. So I've climbed on this sofa in my big high heels with my bottle of champagne, trying to like I don't know what I was trying to do to be quite yeah. honest. But I'd had quite a bit to drink at this point. Yeah. Anyway, my heel got stuck. It went through the plastic of this like fake leather sofa. Right. My heel got yeah. stuck, and as I've gone to move, my foot stayed where it was, and I face planted full smack down onto the table in front of me um 
with the champagne still in my hand, but the table cracked underneath oh, me and the DJ just stopped music. And so everybody watched? Everybody watched, yeah. <laughs> me being me, <laughs> I literally jumped straight back up again, raised the champagne bottle like in my hand and went, woo, and carried on dancing, but I had blood pouring down my face. So, but when you started cheering and dancing, did he put the music back on? Or was he it did. like, you know, like one of these but awkward it was a moments perfect, when everyone's just like looking around? It was and, a perfect drop. So, you know, when the beat drops, yeah. he timed it. I don't know how, it was just a coincidence, <laughs> but it was a perfect beat drop as I raised the champagne glass and everybody just started jumping around. Oh, my but yeah, God. Blood pouring down my face. Nice. But all my friends, all my friends were in absolute hysterics laughing. I bet they were, yeah. The funniest thing they've ever seen in their life. I bet they were. But yeah, and I I um I credit that with like the pain that I get in my shoulders sometimes still, where I just completely face planted this. It was a glass table as well. I don't know how I didn't cut myself oh, to smithereens. Jeez. So don't drink and dance on sofas, yeah. kids. It's on not plastic, big and it's not plastic sofas, yeah. 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 Funnily enough, obviously, because we've spoken about my wife many times before, she went out this weekend with her friends and um, they got dropped off. So I dropped her at her friends and then her friend's dad dropped them off in town. And um, she texted me when they got into one of the bars, said, I've already made a fucking idiot of myself. She tried, for some reason, didn't put her foot out of the car and just literally fell sideways out of the car. (laughs) Didn't put her hands out to stop herself or anything. This was before they got in any bars. This, so they'd already had a few drinks. Like you know, she wasn't leathered, but she was pissed enough. Yeah. And I was like, "You don't let me down. You never." Let I reckon me, down. me and Lynn's would be good friends. I'm, I have no doubt about it. <laughs> Absolutely no doubt. But yeah, so that was my embarrassing. That's a, drunk That's a real good one. Story. Right. So where can everybody catch you on social media? I know you're on a few platforms, but where where mainly well, where can they just check out your stuff get in touch with you if they want to or whatever if they want to find out about my um hilarious stories they can just look me up on facebook and instagram tanya filer um, f-i-l-e-r f-i-l-e-r yeah i'm not yeah. the harvard doctor i'm the other one. Oh shit yeah i forgot you told me about remember you told me about that <laughs> yeah i always get confused for a harvard doctor it's an easy mistake to make oh yeah easily done i can i can see that <laughs> right cheers tanya No worries. See you again soon.